Well, happy Easter, Mount Pleasant Community Church, and welcome to my home country. I'm taking a little walk down a pretty narrow little lane here. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm in a town called Hedford, which is in County Galway in, uh, on the west coast of Ireland. And I want to bring you to uh, one of the largest and best restored friaries in the country. It's probably 15 minutes down the road from my family's house. And I thought we'd have a little visit. It was established in the year 1351 by a fellow by the name of Ray Burke. And uh, monks lived here for probably about 400 years. So take a look at the view. The sun is uh, going down. And right behind me, you have a look at this uh, beautiful friary. friary. It's called Ross Airely Friary. Let's head down there and we'll have a chat and see what the Lord says to us. That's the second time in a row I got totally caught up in the video and forgot I was supposed to come up here. I was like, <laughs> quick, peg it up there, quick. Happy Easter, everybody. He is risen. Our God is alive and well. It's great to be together. It is... Uh, it's an amazing thing. 15 minutes down the road from my mom's house is this incredibly, uh, it's very large, very well restored, uh, and a very ancient church. And uh, for four and a half centuries, Franciscan monks uh, operated out of there, a church of sorts. And today, what I'm going to do is we're going to go back to Galway twice, and it's kind of, this little church in Hedford, Galway, is going to act as our case study for what we're going to be talking about. Now, we all know that that is not an isolated incident. In my home country, there's tons of rooms like that. You will see seminaries and churches and friaries dotted all over the country. And in fact, we know that's not even isolated to Ireland. You can go all over the planet Earth and you will see churches dotted around the globe for the last two and a half, two, two millennia. Now, how is that the case? How is it that the church seems to have exploded all over the world in the last 2,000 years? And I will tell you why and how that has happened. And if you, if you feel obliged or the need to say amen, you go right ahead. This is why. Because Jesus Christ is alive. That's why. It is an audacious claim to say that statement. There is a man who was dead, but now he's not dead. That's not very scientific, is it? It's a, it's a crazy thing to say. I think you've got three options, and I can't even think of a fourth. Number one, it's an outright lie. It's a ridiculous lie. Number two, we are a bunch of idiots. Collectively, we are deluded fools for thinking such a thing. Or number three, and I can't think of any other options, it may be the most extraordinary truth in the history of mankind. That there was a man who died, but then he was not dead anymore. Make no bones about it, you are sitting in a room filled with people who believe in their core that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, then he's just a nice guy who did a whole bunch of nice things for people. But if he did, then I'm all in, because I don't know anybody else who could possibly say something like that. Today, what I find most interesting and what I want to pose to you is this. I want to think about this. We've got this brief little window Think about it. The time between Jesus died and his ascension. More specifically, the Bible tells us it was exactly 40 days. What is that little window about? And in my mind, I'm like, why would you come back here? This, is, this place sometimes is not so nice. And Jesus was more than familiar with his fair share of rejection and abandonment. And he was pretty cruelly executed. Why would he want to come? Why not go to paradise? 
Why not go straight back to the Father? Why would you possibly come back to here? And there's what the New Testament tells us. There were over 500 people who witnessed him dead and alive on 12 different occasions. Two individuals who write historically about the resurrection of Jesus Christ were outright skeptics. They had nothing, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They were actually opposed to him as a person and his ministry and his mission. So I think that window, this time between his rising from the dead and his ascending into heaven, man, that is paramount in history. That surely is a crucial thing. I want to know, what did Jesus come back for? What was he sticking around to say? The cross accomplishes two things. Could I state it like this? Number one, there is now forgiveness of sins. And number two, Satan is defeated and overthrown. I'm going to say that again. Yeah. There is now forgiveness of sins and Satan is defeated and overthrown. That is what the cross has accomplished. What his resurrection has accomplished is the certainty of what I just said. The absolute assurance that our sins can be forgiven and that Satan, the enemy, has been overthrown and defeated. There can be no salvation unless there is a living Savior. The gospel, the story, this good news, it includes both his death and his resurrection. We cannot have one without the other. Nothing could have been accomplished by his death had he not raised up from it. And so the cross today brings us deliverance from sin and death. But his resurrection gives us certainty and absolute assurance of those things. So if we're to give our little attention, our attention to this little window right here, this 40-day period of time, we know sin in the grave has been defeated. Why not go straight back to heaven? Why not go back to paradise? And here's why. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to be present in person, face to face, because he wants to underscore one massive truth. And here's what it is. Jesus is like, I'm alive, I'm alive and present to tell you in this time between, this brief window, that the Holy Spirit is coming and I have decided to start a brand new project. Are you ready for this? Drum roll. Here's what it is. This is what I'm beginning. I'm going to begin. It's something. It's called the church. It's not a steeple. It's not bricks and mortar. It's not a building. It is you and I. It is followers of Jesus Christ who are on a mission. The church. The church in Galway, Ireland, the church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, the church in Morocco and the Middle East and Mexico, in both hemispheres, in every continent, every tribe and every tongue. And Jesus says, I have decided that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And because I am alive, catch this truth. Number one, there is now forgiveness of sins. And number two, Satan is defeated and he is overthrown. And here's why I'm going to start that project. See those two things? You're the church. You're followers of Christ. You're going to carry that message to the ends of the earth. That's your job. And I've come back in person to convey that and communicate that and announce that and commission you to that very end. That's not a secret. I want the planet earth to know about this incredible truth. I want to give you two examples of this. The first is a fellow called John. Last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Unbelievable vision of God. He is perplexed. He is undone as a man. He sees this vision of God. He can't even describe it. In fact, none of his language is direct in terms of like 
This is what it was. This is what I saw. He's unable to do that. All he's able to do, he's just trying his best. His best attempt is to say, well, I saw God in his glory and it was like something else. And so he begins to say, God's hair was white. And he's like, it's like the purest sheep. It's like, it's like the wool on that sheep. Uh, he says his feet. He's like, one time I saw a fire and there was, there was bronze being, being uh, burnished in that. And it was glowing. It was glowing. He says, that's what his feet were like. His voice I can't describe it. It reminds me of the sound of rushing waters. He becomes perplexed and undone. And the scripture says he falls on the ground like a dead man. And God says, get up. I want you to write this. I have a message for the exact thing that I just said, for the church. In fact, for seven churches, the next two chapters in Revelations. This is a critical message. Write it down, John. This needs to be stated. So look at what he says. In the context of his death and resurrection and in the context of the church. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the, everyone together, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That is good news right there. I, I got to read it again. Can we read this all together with some gusto here? Ready? Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look. I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Here's our first peek into what God is saying in the context of the fact that he was dead, but now he's alive. And what's very obvious to me in this scripture is that the first thing out of his mouth is the church. It's the church. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to seven churches. I'm dead. I'm alive. This is what I want you to know. Number one, there is now forgiveness of sins, and the enemy Satan has been defeated and overthrown. Let's go back to Galway and check out our case study. Now, I want you to remember the name Ray Burke, if you don't mind. He's the gentleman who established this friary in the year 1351. And then I want you to also remember the name Clonrickard. Clonrickard is a location. So over the years, you would have the Earl of Clonrickard or the second Earl of Clonrickard, etc. Um, in the year 1538, the Franciscan monks in this very friary right here spoke out against King Henry VIII because he divorced his wife, left the Catholic Church, and we have the beginning of the English Reformation. He was not too happy with the monks who had spoken out against him, and actually 200 monks in this friary were banished, and many of them were imprisoned, or they actually lost their lives. Now, two centuries later, a gentleman by the name of Richard Burke gains these grounds from Queen Elizabeth I, who took them away from the monks. And what does he do? He does the exact same thing that his descendant does. He gives it back to the Franciscan monks. Time moves on a little bit further. In the year 1584, the English crown once again take over this property. This time they took it off the monks because they simply wanted to use it as an English garrison. Uh, time marches on a little bit forward, and then you bump into what is now known as the second Earl of Clonrickard, another descendant from the same family. He repurchases the land, and once again, he gives it back to the Franciscan monks. More time goes by, and by the end of the century, the exact same thing keeps on happening. The English crown uh, confiscate the friary one more time. Once again, the Clonrickard family restore this friary in the year 1604. 
and they give it back to the Franciscans. Okay, why the history lesson and why the visit? Because in this family, the Clonrickard family, we see what is a type of Christ. We see over the course of time, fathers and sons who are a type of Christ because they are relentless. They will not give up on the gospel. They see a place that is established for his word and for the community. And though it is persecuted and beaten with tremendous violence and eviction and plundered over the centuries, again and again and again, they return for the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, is this history making sense? You got this guy, Ray Burke, he's in the Clon Rickard, Earl, 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 fathers and son. He, he establishes, he builds it, he gives it to Franciscan monks. In comes uh, uh, King Henry V, they don't like him, they say some stuff against him, he wipes them out. His son comes along, uh, oh yeah, give it to me, I'm an Earl. Yes, we'll give it to you. He sneakily gives it back to the church. And then Queen Elizabeth I comes along, she wipes them out. The next son comes along, second Earl of Clon Rickard, yeah, give it to me. He actually buys it back. And he's like, ah, oh, you can have it for free. Gives it back to the church. And then the English come in again centuries later. We want this as a garrison, a military place. And they take it back. And the next son comes, gives it back to the church. What an incredible, incredible picture. Let me give you the second example here if I can. Jesus is at the tail end of this 40-day window. It's probably a perfect picture of the time between, right? Up until now, he's been helping the disciples. He's been showing them things, teaching them, modeling and showing them examples and nurturing them and loving them and educating them. And now he's like, time's up, guys. I'm, I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm going away to be with the Father. School is done. It's time, and there's a scripture here, and I find it incredible, kind of astounding, and then comical all at the same time. It's maybe the perfect snapshot of the time between. It's the reason why he came back in person and did not just return to the Father. Let me ask you this question. What is the one thing that we have in common? Like, why are we here? Why, why have we gathered to do this thing on this day? What is the one thing that we have in common? I guarantee you this. It ain't politics. It's not academia. It's not our backgrounds or where you come from or the color of your skin or your culture or your bank account or your education or all of those kinds of things. It's not even religion in, in the, sense of the, wor the sense of the world. We have denominations and different kinds of religions. The only thing, the common ground, is exactly what Jesus Christ predicted on a hot afternoon just outside of a place called Caesarea in Philippi. This is what he says, that I am the Christ the son of the living God. That's the common ground that we hold together. That I was dead, but I'm alive again. And Jesus says, I will build a gathering of people into the future around that single idea. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing ever going to prevent or stop or get in the way of that. And here's the crazy thing. Today, you and I are a part of the fulfillment of that extraordinary statement just outside of Jerusalem. Here's the summary of what Jesus is about to say. These are like last words, and then he's out of here. Here's the summary. I'm leaving. You're going. You won't be alone. That's the last thing. He had to say it. He had to come back in person. I wish this morning that I could have somehow magically gotten up and knocked on every one of your doors before you made it in here to church and got in the car. 
to say to you, just think about what you're doing. You are coming to be a part of an assembly of people that is really essentially a part of a 2,000-year-old prophecy. Do you know how amazing that is? Do you know how staggering that that is? Do you know how astonishing it is that the church even survived the first century? We shouldn't be here. This shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be in Galway and it shouldn't be in Mount Pleasant. How is it that we actually have a New Testament, that we have four accounts of his, of his life? And then Jesus stands up on this hillside, and most theologians would estimate there's probably between 120 to 130 of Jesus' followers. They're outlaws. I mean, these guys are petrified. They saw him dead, and now he's back, and they are just, what is going on in this moment? And then he stands up, and this is what he says. These are last words. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, that's a heck of a statement. That is an arrogant statement. If that were not true, then that should have been the end of it. No, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All of it, yes, all of it. So you should really listen to what, I, what I'm going to say to you. Imagine these 120, 130 people. I'm, I'm going to ask you to go now and make disciples of all the nations. Some guy in the back. Excuse me, Jesus. Did you say we're to go to all the nations? Shh, I'm not done yet. He says, go therefore make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And now here's the part that I find astounding and comical all at the same time. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then he leaves. <laughs> I'll be with you forever. Peace out. <laughs> I mean, that's what just happened. I've got a, like, global project for you. I'll see you around. And he's gone. Why are we here? How could this have possibly worked? How did this survive? How did this come true? How is it that we really do have four gospels telling us about the life of Jesus? How is it that you would even know his name? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus made a promise. And when he made that promise, he didn't flinch. He said, I'm going to build a gathering of people in my name, all kinds of people. And at the end of the day, they will have one thing in common, that Jesus is the Christ, he is the son of the living God, and he was dead, but he's alive. And then we're on the edge of a cliff, and Acts tells us that the Holy Spirit will come, and then we'll be witnesses in, Judea, in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and Mount Pleasant, and Galway, Ireland, and to the ends of the earth. And so now the church is at the edge of a cliff. It's going to explode. Worldwide revolution is about to take place, and it does take place. They're about to carry his name to the nations. We're talking about smashing down what the enemy has built in people's lives. This is an aggressive love campaign that's about to crash into the lives of broken men and women and children and families. Lies are going to be dis uh, exposed. Deceit is going to be uh, sent running Life is going to break out. Freedom is coming. Light is cracking through. Listen to this. Ultimately, you and I are taking place, in a, a, taking part in a massive assault that began one dark afternoon on a hill outside of Jerusalem. It is a remarkable truth that God, through Jesus, brings us new life and redemption and healing and hope. And then he turns around and he says, and now through you, I want you to carry that message. And that message is simply this. There's now forgiveness of sins. And Satan has been defeated and overcome. Praise God. 
Jesus rose from the dead to give us the certainty of that. And now he looks you in the eye and he says, carry that message. Carry that message to the ends of the earth. If you're hearing that for the first time today, I want you to know this. God knows the worst thing about you and he still loves you. God knows the most shameful thing that you've ever done or said, the most hurtful, woundful thing that you've ever done to another human being. And he says, and I will still die and I will still rise from the dead for you. And I want you to hear the message today. And this is your opportunity to perhaps hear it afresh. Perhaps it's striking a chord in you that it has never struck before. But it is an opportunity for you to say, God, I actually see that today. And I want to respond to you. God is calling you by name today, despite all of your worst mistakes. Would you hear the message of his love? Would you hear the message of his death and his resurrection? And here's the thing. I do not believe that it is any accident. It is God's providential hand that you are sitting here today. Why? Because God establishes the church to convey the message that's happening literally right now in your presence that you are loved by the living God, that he died to give you forgiveness of your sins. And the enemy who has tried to destroy you, he has been defeated. So I want to ask us to pray right now. And if there's anyone here who has never been a follower of Christ... And you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. Today is a holy day. Today is a day for you to come to God and say, God, I want to give you the reins of my life. And I want to come before you and place my trust in you. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for Easter Sunday. We're grateful for Good Friday. We're celebrating Easter Sunday. And today, on behalf of every person here who wants to commit their life to Jesus Christ, we pray this prayer. God, I believe in you. Lord, more than that, I trust in you. And today I have heard and I see what you have done for me. And in my heart, I want to respond to you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And there are many of them, God. To clean me up and turn me around. To point me in the right direction. God, would you please, please be the leader of my life. I will live for you. And I will follow you all the days of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of God tells us when one sinner prays that prayer, angels are rejoicing in heaven. Can we give him praise and thanks and glory right now? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. If you did pray that prayer, perhaps for the very first time, we have a gift for you after the church service. If you want to head out to info, it's right over there. We've got a little plastic bag. We've got, we've got a, a, like a starter kit. We have a Bible in there, a book, and a personal letter from Pastor Wally and myself. We'd love to give you that for free. Please take advantage of that. Okay, let's go back to Ireland for one last time. As beautiful as this friary is, as fantastic and interesting as the history is, there is perhaps another perspective that we can take with us when it comes to this beautiful friary. And that is, for four centuries, despite the persecution, it was filled with life and the word of God, and people who were in need received help. And within these stone walls, you would have received so much prayer and study and meditation and fasting. So many godly things happened in this old building. But as I look at it today, it is derelict and it is empty. It is simply another room in Ireland. There is no roof on this building anywhere, no matter where I go. And as I've been walking through this facility, as old as it is, 
I've been trying my very best to step over graves. This church, people in Ireland consider it holy ground. And so all over the ground, you will see the graves of those who have come and gone. Some of them are ancient, and I can hardly read them anymore. But some of them are very fresh. Where is the church? Where is the church this Easter? Mount Pleasant Community Church. I trust that we are alive and thriving and breathing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not for the sake of a building or a roof, that there would be a place where dead people receive life, where the blind once again receive their sight, where those who are deaf can hear, and where the gospel is poured out from Mount Pleasant Community Church and beyond. Church, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.